so we're in Genesis chapter 13 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. Uh, it's the ESV, so if it's easier to read off the screen, um, if you have a different translation, it'll be coming up on there. So Genesis chapter 13. It's an easy one to turn to. It's the first book of the Bible. Habakkuk. Just kidding. We're, we're in Habakkuk. Try to find that. Yeah. Okay. So Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And then there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It is not not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take to the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus he separate, they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and his tent moved as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all of the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Lord, uh, we come before you this morning, submitting ourselves to your word. Lord, we thank you for your word. That's alive, that it's active, that it's here to teach and reproof and train and guide in righteousness. Lord, we got out of bed this morning, and got ourselves ready so that we can come to church and hear from you. Lord, let this not just be something that we check off our list on Sunday morning, Lord, but to be a time where we are changed by your word. Lord, that seeds will be planted that will take root, that will grow in our lives. And maybe we'll have something extraordinary happen, but oftentimes it's just something little that puts us back on the right path. Lord, so we fix our eyes on you. We fix our eyes on your word. We thank you that it's a lamp that lights our feet and guides our path. Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth this morning will be your words based on your truth, Lord, at this moment in time for Parker Ford. Um, 
so that we see you more, so that we know you more. Lord, we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we have Lot and Abram here, uh, is what Genesis chapter 13 is about. And this story obviously is not just a chapter, but it goes before chapter 13 and it goes after. There's a large chunk of the Bible dedicated to Abram, who eventually became Abraham. But here in Genesis 13, we see the two of them journeying together. And Abram was Lot's uncle, so they are related. And God had blessed them so much with herdsmen, with silver, um, with cattle, with livestock, that the land could not support the blessing of God that they had in their lives. It was just, they had too much to stay together. And of course, when you get a lot of people together, sometimes there's strife and there's bickering and there's quarreling. And that's what we see happening here between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram. So something has to happen. They can't dwell together. They're arguing, but at the same time, the land can't support them. So something has to happen. Abram, being the godly, humble man that he is, recognizes this and gives Lot first choice. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about somebody else. So he says, wherever you go, I will go the opposite way. And it seems like from the text that Lot takes no time whatsoever in making a decision. Abram presents him with an opportunity, and immediately it says Lot lifts his eyes. It's like, oh, I got an opportunity. I need to capitalize on this opportunity. I don't want Abram to change his mind. There is a period, and then it says, it says, I will go to the left, period, and Lot lifted his eyes. No, let me check with my wife and kids. Let, let's think about this. You know, how can we do this mutually beneficial for the both of us? There was no humility saying, let me defer back to Abram and let him have the choice. It's period, boom, Lot lifts his eyes, and he makes a decision. There is absolutely, from what we see in the text, no patience, no waiting, no considering. Decision needs to be made. Let me lift up my eyes and decide. And this decision was completely motivated by selfish ambition. He doesn't defer back to Abram. You choose. He doesn't even choose something that's fair for the both of them. He takes the best. And he doesn't even consider his family and the impact that this decision is going to have on them. Because what he does is he looks with his eyes, he sees what's best for his cattle and his livestock and chooses that. Rather than saying, oh, if I go that way, I'm going to be near Sodom. And we know about Sodom. Maybe that's going to impact my family in a negative way. It doesn't seem like that crosses his mind. He's thinking on how can I grow my possessions, not grow my family or my relationship with the Lord or my relationship with my uncle. So he chooses. So it lacks patience, motivated by selfish ambition, and it seems like it's based solely on reason and intellect. Now God has given us this mind so that we can think and decide and reason and all of that sort of stuff. But sometimes I think that we make decisions solely based on what's up here. And for some of us, that's not 
that's worse than others because what's up here might not be uh, you know, all that together. But we think, I can make the decision myself. Let me look, let me see, let me evaluate, and I'll make the decision. Reason-based decision. He's given an opportunity, he sees what looks best, and he goes for it. Lot lifted his eyes. 100% lot-based decision. What's best for me? And we can look at this scripture, you know, the scripture of the story of Cain and Abel, um, the scripture of Lot, David and his decision with Bathsheba, even as something as bad as what Judas did, and we can say that was them. And we're familiar with it, and we read it, and we separate ourselves from the decisions in the Bible. But this is something that I think we struggle with in our decision-making every single day. Reason-based, completely reason-based decision-making rather than God and faith-based decision-making. It's not a blatant sin, but it's very impactful on the life of Lot and his family. It's very subtle. Abram is telling me to choose. I just chose, and I chose what I thought was best. Very subtle, but it's all too familiar. Genesis 3, verse 6. Something very similar here in Genesis 3 as we see in Genesis 13. Genesis 3, Eve is in the garden talking to the serpent. And he deceives her, and in Genesis 3, 6 it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. When the woman saw... Lot lifted his eyes, bowing to the God of self. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. Bowing to the God of self. I don't usually talk in the third person, but here we go. What's best for Mike? What does Mike want? What's going to make Mike comfortable? It's hard to put myself aside and think about my family and think about others And make a decision based on what I think God is leading me to and what others need. This happened with Eve. This happened with Lot. It is the sin and the temptation and the strategy of the enemy and of our selfish nature from the beginning of time. The devil and our sinful nature, it's very limited in the way that we are tempted. There are three ways that we are tempted. And we find those in 1 John 2.16. It says, For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, number one, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Three strategies. So if you look in the Garden of Eden, it says first that the tree was good for food, the desires of the flesh. And then the Garden of Eden says it was a delight to the eyes, the desire of the eyes. And that the tree was desired to make one wise the pride of life. Lot. Somewhat all three of those, but mostly the desire of the eyes. He looked and he saw and he chose. This looks best. This is what's best for me. This is what I'm going to choose. I'm not going to seek Abram's advice on this. I'm not going to seek God's counsel on this. I'm going to look and I'm going to depend on myself and I'm going to choose. Jesus was tempted in the same way, but thankfully was without sin. 
Matthew chapter 4. So this, this is for you guys this time to figure out which one of those three. If you remember, you're all awake and listening. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is tempted in the same ways. Satan says to, to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The desire of the flesh. I'm hungry. Which, which we all are, but Jesus says, you know, um, rebukes him with scripture. Man does not live on bread alone. Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. That is the pride of life. I'll pretend I heard that. I think I heard somebody say that. This is one that I struggle with, and I'm sure a lot of us struggle with. The pride of life. Proving yourself. He's saying, Jesus, if you are, prove yourself. For me, I'm a full-time wedding photographer, and sometimes I'm embarrassed to tell people that. Because they always look at me like, oh, that's, that's cute. My, my uncle's a wedding photographer. My high school friend's a wedding photographer. My sister's a wedding photographer. Her six-year-old daughter's a wedding photographer. That's cute. So what do you really do? And I want to be like, no, really, look, I actually take decent images. This is my job. I want to prove myself, but I just got to be like, yeah. Or I often get, so how's that going for you? Like, it's going pretty well. God's blessed it. But holding back and saying, you know, I don't have to prove myself in this situation. Hattie, who's sitting back there, is our administrative assistant extraordinaire. And there was one day I was in the backyard and playing with the kids. They were by the swing set. We were throwing the frisbee around a little bit. And I'm sitting on the blanket with our little nine-month-old Ivy. And Hattie, you know, she comes down and says hi to the kids. And Oliver wants me to throw him the frisbee. So I pick up the frisbee and like I throw it at Oliver and it's the worst throw ever. And Hattie, I don't know if you remember this, she goes, looks like your dad's not good at frisbee or something to that effect. And I wanted to be like, now you're going to find out, Hattie, that I'm awesome at frisbee. I was a four-time intramural champion in college, twice a day at, at Ultimate Frisbee. Twice a day, my roommate and I would go to the Frisbee golf course and, and play Frisbee golf. I placed in a couple Frisbee golf tournaments. My roommate, though, dropped out of college twice. I think it might have been my fault because I was always like, let's go play Frisbee golf. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at Frisbee, just so you know. And I just wanted to be like, no, Hattie, I'm awesome at Frisbee. Watch. Like, like our kids do. Daddy, watch this. Can't I jump so high? I wanted to be like, check this out. and throw. But I was like, no. The pride of life. Trying to prove myself. So the pride of life. And then Jesus, once again, is tempted. Okay, strategy one didn't work. Strategy two didn't work. So let me hit him with strategy number three. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Look at everything you can have. It'll all be yours. Just bow down and worship me. The lust of the eyes. And he denies him one more time and Satan leaves him. He did all that he could. And Jesus said, no, this has been what you've been doing since the beginning of time. And many people fall for it on a daily basis. But no. I'm going to choose God. Lot makes a reason-based decision, the lust of his eyes. And Lot slowly leads himself into temptation 
and into sin. This first decision seems so small and so insignificant. But as you start to follow the story of Lot, it completely destroys his life and the life of his family. Psalm 1-1 says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Originally, in Genesis 13, we don't see Lot living in Sodom. It says he lived near Sodom, walking in the counsel of the wicked, kind of off to a distance a little bit. But then in Genesis 14, we see Abram having to come in and rescue Lot. But we don't find him living outside of Sodom in Genesis 14. We see him living in Sodom, standing in the counsel of the wicked. And then in Genesis 19, which you're familiar with, when the angels come because Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed, where do we find Lot in Genesis 19.1? Sitting at the gates. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's where he started. Or, sit in the, or stand in the way of sinners. Or sit in the seat of mockers. It's a slow progression. James 1 says this, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own evil desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Lot chose death. Physical death for his wife, as we know, and spiritual death for him and his daughters. You know, he's, at first, Sodom's over there. You, now I'm not going to get close. I'm just kind of looking around. Not that the piano, Michael, this is nothing against you. I'm just using this as an example here. Just looking around and like, ah, what's going on over there? And then just standing, but still, I'm not too comfortable just yet. Then, well, you know what? This isn't all that bad. And then seating, seated, getting comfortable among all of this that's going on. And I've seen this, and these are some extreme examples, but I've seen this in the lives of so many of my friends that I went to high school with. For me, um, my neighbor's mom smoked cigarettes. And so, mom and dad, cover your ears. Um, So (laughs) they know some of this. But uh, in second grade, I had my first try of a cigarette. My my neighbor and I, he was about four years older than me. It's like, hey, let's try it. I was like, cool, let's try it. Eighth grade, I started experimenting with pot. In high school, I started experimenting with some harder drugs like pills and things like that. Thankfully, the Lord intervened in my life while I was in college. And to this day, June, and I've shared this with you before, I think, June 28th of 2001 was the last day I touched any sort of drug. But my friends continued on. A guy that I was a wrestling partner with in high school, really awesome guy, kind guy, you know, was in this same sort of pattern. And about 10 years ago, he had gotten so deep through little choice by little choice by little choice that him and his brother robbed a pharmacy in Downingtown with sawed-off shotguns. Spent eight, eight or so years in prison. Another really good friend of mine was hooked on heroin and was prescribed methadone, and his baby wouldn't sleep, his two-year-old, so he put methadone in the baby bottle and killed the baby. 20 to 40 years he's living in prison now for that decision. But in middle school, when we're all hanging out together, they never would think, oh, in 15 years, this is going to be me. 
And that's an extreme example, but we see it in other ways as well. It might not be drug-related. But we make these small decisions based on reason and intellect and selfishness, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, these little tiny decisions, and they build and they build and they build. And if we're not seeking the counsel of the Lord, all of a sudden we're just completely strayed away from the path. We're like, why would I even consider doing this? But it's little by little by little that we just don't even think anymore. And Lot is impacted, and so is his family. But his family's impacted even more. Because Lot still seems to have some belief in the Lord. But all of these decisions and, and not seeking after God and not being an example to his family totally destroyed them. In Genesis 19.7, we see these angels coming and Lot has them in their house, right? And then a mob from Sodom comes and starts banging on the door. Because they want to come in and do not so good things with the two men that are in Lot's house. So what does Lot do? It's pretty terrible. He says, here's my daughters. They're virgins. Do whatever you want with them. I look at that. I'm like, what? How in the world? But I got to remember that when you just become so desensitized that you make decisions like that. Now, that's way far gone, hopefully, than any of us will ever get to. But that's what happens. Like, my friends, what in the world would possess them to go in and rob a pharmacy? What in the, when you see some of this stuff, you're like, what were they thinking? Well, they're just so desensitized that they make these decisions without realizing what they're doing. Genesis 16, 26. Lot's wife is just so... Um, consumed by Sodom and the life in Sodom that she turns and turns into a pillar of salt. His decisions destroyed his wife. And then his daughters growing up, they're seeing Lot just make all of these terrible decisions. So what do they do when their mom dies? They get their dad drunk to keep the family line going and they sleep with him. You look at it and you're like, oh, never. But hopefully never, but... We're not so far off. I believe it was um, Spurgeon that said, if not for grace, so would I. If it's not for the grace of God, we would be just as messed up. That's why we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, focused on the straight path. Because our decisions impact our future and the future of our kids. He, he sacrificed his kids for his own selfish ambition. We make choices based on reason and intellect, based on what we want, based on what we need to get done. One of my greatest struggles, and I never thought this would be a struggle, is working too hard. Mom and dad, you would never think that when I was growing up. <laughs> I love to sleep, I love to snack, and watch TV. But having my own business now and things like that, I just struggle with just always wanting to get stuff done always wanting to do more. And three and a half years ago, I was a youth pastor at Calvary Fellowship Church in Downingtown. I was a youth pastor there for five years. My last year at Calvary in 2012, I was working full-time. I had 37 weddings to photograph that year. And on top of that, I was probably doing 20 or something family shoots. And then I was going to meet people to try to book these weddings. So I was driving to 
Philadelphia and King of Prussia and Exton to sit down and meet with these people. And then I'm trying to keep up with youth events. Sunday morning and Wednesday night, we had a program. I had to be there Thursday through Friday. Saturday, my day off, I would shoot weddings. Monday, I would edit. The nights, I would edit. I was just working, working, working. And over time, we realized I was sacrificing my wife for the sake of work. And a decision needed to be made. We were living up in Pottstown. We had two young kids. I was driving a half hour to church, all over the place to try and do ministry, all over the place to shoot weddings, and I was leaving my wife at home. And she wasn't able to get, sorry, I'm talking about you here, but she was having difficulty plugging in to Calvary because there's two young kids and we live so far away. And with a church of 1,300 people, you know they're not all living local. People were driving from Westchester and toward Delaware and Pottstown and out towards Lancaster and King, like all over the place. And I would preach probably four or five times a year in front of the church. And so the church was very familiar with me, and Carrie just became Mike's wife. And people would ask, well, why isn't she like other pastors' wives and things? Why isn't she involved in the high school ministry? She should support her husband. Why doesn't she support her husband? So she started to feel judged. And we just evaluated the situation and said, you know what? She's being sacrificed because of my work schedule. Something needs to change. And so in 2011, we made a change and said, in one year, I gave my boss one year's notice, and they accepted it, so that was pretty sweet. But we decided we need to make this change. This is what's best for our family. And people ask me, do I regret the change? And there's not one day that goes by that I regret the change that we made, because it was what we needed for our family. And it was a step of faith, because we found out after we made the transition that it's hard as a wedding photographer to make it through the winter because not a lot of people get married. So January, I have zero weddings. You know, back then, I had zero weddings, yet I still have to pay the mortgage, the electric. I no longer um, have health insurance. I don't have a housing allowance. You know, all of these things that we depended on, a steady paycheck. And we're like, well, we know we need to make this decision but we were going to get through that winter, and it was going to be a huge struggle. But we made the decision anyway. God blessed it by providing me with a job at QVC. Any QVC fans in here? You can admit it. It's all right. They make $12 million a day, so people are watching. Um, I, was a, I got a job as a guest host, and I would go on air for seven, eight minutes and get $450 a pop just plopped on my lap. I stopped Calvary in June. July, I got a phone call asking if I wanted this job. August, I started. We were in pretty desperate times for how much we needed to get through the winter. QVC made up almost to the exact number what we needed to get to get through the winter. God provided. Even something as small as yesterday, Matt Willauer, who we know and love, is moving to Alabama. Pretty sad. Um, And we right now are in the middle of a huge house project, and we need to grout probably like 35 feet worth of brick wall by tonight. And tomorrow morning, or yesterday morning, Matt was moving. And he needed help. But we needed the grout. But I thought to myself, you know what? 
one of my best friends is moving and he needs help. I just, let me just give him a little bit of time. So I gave him an hour and a half in the morning. Little you know, I was supposed to have a wedding meeting at noon yesterday that got canceled. I gave Matt an hour and a half in the morning. I got an hour and a half back in the afternoon. God was like, you sacrificed for your friend. Now I'm going to bless you back. That's the way that he works. When we make faith-based decisions, God answers. So Lot lifted his eyes. He made the choice. He used his own reason and intellect, his own strength, made his own choices. He was self-dependent. We fall into this. At least I do. Usually I'm just preaching to myself, but hopefully you're all in this as well. We make reason-based decisions based on what we need, what we want, what feels good, what's comfortable. But God is calling us to a different type of living. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. We know this very familiar verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we live by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So in contrast to Lot, we see Abram waiting patiently on the Lord. And then we find in Genesis 13, it says, the Lord lifted Abram's eyes. He just waited. And the Lord answered. So Psalm 1 starts off with, Blessed is the man who does not, 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 not. But then it goes on to say, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Living by faith brings prosperity. Now I'm not talking prosperity gospel here. I'm saying prosperity in a spiritual sense. And mainly, and Tim says it all the time, the main thing that happens when we sin is we sacrifice our family. But when we choose God, we're like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Just trusting God that what I think is best is not always best. His ways are not my ways. Let me trust in him. Let me be diligent in prayer, patient before God, listening to his voice, as well as living by the word of God. Most often, the word of God is all that we need. Sometimes we can't see God. Sometimes we can't hear God. Sometimes we don't have clear direction, but we need to lean on the truth of God's word. It says that Statistically, we make 35,000 decisions a day. So if I'm always just like, oh, should I drink this? Should I not? Let me pray about it. We'd never get anything done. Should I put my hands in my pocket while I preach? Should I take one out? Should I do this? What, should I do this? What looks So some of the decisions, you know, are kind of meaningless decisions. But then the other ones are just little decisions each day. Like the decision that Lot had. Just little decisions that build one on top of another. 
Psalm 1, Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes I don't hear God clearly. I don't see God clearly. Prayer takes time and patience. Well, what do I do in the meantime? For the little minute-by-minute, day-by-day decisions. We see God work, don't get me wrong, in miraculous and big and life-changing ways. But that's this much of our life. What about the rest? And for that, we have been given the word of God to lean on. The Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If there is good stored up in our heart, good will come out. If there's evil stored up in our heart, evil will come out. What are we putting in our heart? Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 1 says, you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Saturating ourselves in the word of God. When I first became a Christian, all I wanted to do was memorize scripture. I had a little thing that I would keep in my pocket that I bought at the mustard seed when that was still around. And there were little index cards. And each day, I'd memorize a new verse. And as I went throughout my day, I didn't oftentimes have to pray about a decision to be made because God would bring scripture to my mind. And I'd be like, you know what? This is what I need to do based on the word of God. With God's word written in our heart, we can make the right choices. So when I'm interacting with people, I know that God's word says be compassionate, be hospitable. We had a friend, uh, a friend that we've been befriending recently that shows up unannounced. And Carrie and I are not completely show up unannounced people, but please do. I'm not saying don't show up and say hi, but she just shows up. And it's been a blessing. We're just, we just, we want to be, it's something we struggle with, so we want to be more hospitable. Come over unplanned, and we sit, and we talk, and we put aside, because God's word says be hospitable. So when I'm interacting with people, live in harmony. It says have your conversation be seasoned with salt. Speak as if speaking the very words of God. This one I struggle with. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Don't judge, but have compassion. Bless those who persecute you. Forgive 70 times 7. Don't harbor envy and bitterness. There's so much in the word of God that we need to put in our hearts so when we're interacting with people, we know what to do. And those things will come up. And if we feel like we need to get this done and somebody shows up unexpected, we need to say, you know what? God, you've done this. Let me be hospitable. Let me feel, let me make them feel like I want them to be here. Because sometimes if somebody shows up or is kind of disrupting what I need to get done, I will not respond to one-word sentences. If you ever, (laughs) I'm ratting myself out here, but if you ever hear me giving one-word sentences, That's because I have something I need to get done, and if I start asking questions, it's going to prolong how long it's going to be until I get back to what I need to get done. So I'm like, yep, okay, great. Well, I got to get go. Yep, okay, great. Well, I'm going to, it's good. Yep, yep, okay, great. On and on and on. But God is saying, no, give time. Nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I could have worked more. You've heard that before. Be hospitable, show compassion, listen. When I need to make a decision, God's word says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. God's word says, be still and know that I am God. God's word says, do not be anxious or worry about tomorrow. Seek the Lord in prayer 
but also just lean on the things that we already know. When I'm at work, God's word says, work unto the Lord, not men. God's word says, don't be idle. His word says, do honest work with your hands. When I'm faced with temptation, God's word says, no temptation has seized you that with, except that which is common to man. When I'm faced with temptation, God's word says, be alert and ready, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. His word says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have this all at our fingertips, and it needs to be saturated in our heart and in our mind so that when these things come up in life and we don't have time to make a decision, we have the word of God just flowing out of us. God's word says, care for the widow, feed the poor, give with a joyful heart, be kind, don't love money, trust, hope, persevere. If God never spoke to us with anything other than his word, I think we'd still be all right. Because there's so much there. Pretty much, again, I'm not dismissing prayer and I'm not dismissing patience on God and waiting on God. I'm just saying he's provided us with his word, his spoken word. And when we're saturated by it, we memorize it and we know it, our life starts to take his path. But when we're distant and we distance ourselves a little more, one day goes by, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. One day goes by. Oh, it's okay. Another day goes by. Another day goes by. And I'm all of a sudden becoming dulled to the word of God and its direction in my life. When the Israelites were given manna from heaven, the Lord specifically said, do not store it up. Each day go out and gather. Each day get your daily bread. But some disobeyed that and they stored it up and it got maggots, right, the next day. And they were like, okay, I will go daily and get my bread. Same thing with the word of God. Daily. Saturating ourselves. Meditating on it. Dwelling on it. So the paths of their lives, Abraham and Lot, were determined by where they placed their confidence. And I want to challenge us this morning, where do we place our confidence? Too often, and I'm not trying to beat myself up because I think I do make a lot of faith-based decisions and I see God blessing it. But so often I'm making reason-based decisions. I'm sacrificing my relationship with God. I'm sacrificing my family. I'm sacrificing those around me. I had to get stuff done two nights ago, I think it was. And I had a short amount of time to do it. And Abby and Oliver come up, and they're like, Dad, we're trying to build a fort downstairs, but it's not as good as you do it. Can you come and help? In my mind, I'm like, I got something to do, but I'll help a little bit. So I just grabbed a mop, and I tried to prop the mop up in the center of the blankets to create a little tent and then be on my way. Well, that didn't work. So I spent a good half hour tying blankets to the drop ceiling of the basement, and I put a little disco ball in the center so they could have a little party. And I come up. I may have partied a little bit too, okay. Um, Then I come upstairs and and Carrie goes, you're a good dad. Because I oftentimes will just say, you know what? 
I need to get this done, and then I'll have time. I need to get this done, then I'll have time. But the time never comes because there's always something to get done. So to say, you know what? I got this little five-year-old and I got this little three-year-old wanting me to build them a tent. And while I'm down there, Abby's like, you're the best daddy. She, loves, she knows what works for me. Words of affirmation. You're the best daddy. You build the best forts. This is awesome. And I got, I don't even remember what I needed to get done. It was something, but it got done. I think grouting the wall, because that's all we're trying to get done. But am I going to worry about the things I got to get done and sacrifice my kids? Or am I going to say, you know what, I'm going to give them time, and then I believe God will bless the other time that I have. So Lot lifted his eyes and placed his confidence in himself. The Lord lifted Abram's eyes, and Abram put his confidence in the Lord. Lot lifted his eyes, and it destroyed his family. The Lord lifted Abram's eyes, and generation upon generation was blessed. Lot lifted his eyes and made a reason-based decision. The Lord lifted Abram's eyes, and Abram made a faith-based decision. We make, once again, 35,000 choices a day, roughly. Most of those are small choices. Are we mainly depending on ourselves, or are we leaning into the Word of God? Even something as small, 1 Corinthians 10 says, whether you eat or drink, something that seems insignificant. And the greater context is talking about things sacrificed to idols. But still, the point is there. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So as we go out today, we have decisions to make. We're going to be presented with a bunch of them. My question to you is, who are you going to depend on? On yourself or on God? And I just want to encourage this as well, and I, I know it's hard, but we really need to. We need to hold each other accountable as well. We really be need, needing to dig into the word of God, saturating our minds and our hearts, washing ourselves with God's word over and over and over again. It's the only way we're going to make it. Otherwise, we're just going to coast along making our own decisions. And again, we're given these minds for a purpose. But at the same time, we're given the word of God as well. And as I mentioned before, that his ways are not oftentimes our ways. Putting aside what we need to get done to love people is not easy. Putting aside our pride to lift others up is not easy. Putting aside bitterness to forgive is not easy. Being patient and listening and trusting God and not worrying and not being anxious is not easy. And I'm sure, just like me, all of you are thinking about the things going on in the world. And it makes us anxious and it makes us worry. You know, could what happened in France happen here? Yeah. But you know what? We trust in a great and powerful God. The world is chaotic, but God explicitly says multiple times, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't worry. When you look at Jesus and the disciples, every single one of them, except for John, was 
crucified or sacrificed for their faith, martyred for their faith. But you know what? They followed him anyway. So I want to challenge us this morning in the big decisions, in the small decisions, in everything that we do, just leaning into the word of God, having it saturate our lives, having it cleanse our minds so that we can walk that straight straight path towards him. Making the God-based decisions that we need to make. Let's pray. Lord, um, we just thank you so much for your word. And I'm sure many of us sitting here today know that we neglect it. Um, Lord, but you call us over and over and over again to dwell on your word, to meditate on your word, to plant your word in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, so that when something comes in life, something big or even something small, Lord, we're so saturated by your word that we don't even have to think about the decision to make. That we make the honorable and the right and the faith-based choice. Lord, it's like we don't need to think about riding a bike. We don't need to think about driving a car. We don't need to think about, you know, how to pronounce and say words in our native language. So many things, Lord, they just come completely naturally to us because we've saturated ourselves with them. Lord, the same thing is true about your word. Lord, and I pray that the seeds that have been planted in our minds and our hearts in the past, like, um, like your word says that the rain goes out and waters the field. Just so your, your word com- goes out and it does not come back void. Lord, so I pray that these seeds that we've been planting throughout our lives, Lord, will continue to bear fruit and take root in our lives. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you that you cared enough to humble yourself and come down and interact with us. Lord, show us where you want us to go, what you want us to do this day. Your strength, your word, your guidance. In your son's name we pray. Amen.